Today's episode comes to you in partnership with Rotacloud, the people management platform for shift-based teams. Rotacloud lets managers create and share rotas, record attendance and manage annual leave, all from a single web-based app. It also makes work simple for your team, allowing them to check their rotas, request holiday and even pick up extra shifts straight from their phones. Try Rotacloud's time-saving tools today by heading to rotacloud.com forward slash fill. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is world-class chocolatier Stephen Trigg, founder of Loudon Chocolate. Coming up on today's show... Stephen makes his pitch on how to save the world... Just get chocolate into people's mouths. Phil threatens to jack it all in... I'm going to retire right now. And Stephen highlights some of the pinch-yourself moments you can find yourself in. I don't know I was going to give a speech in front of Tony Blair, who sat, like, literally ten feet from me, in front of me, in a room full of people. All that and so much more as we chat through Stephen's wonderful journey so far. Stephen is a guy at the top of his game, and he and his wife have created a wonderful business, deeply respected throughout UK hospitality. He's also one of the nicest humans you will ever meet. His story has so much to offer both from a personal journey perspective and with so many business lessons for entrepreneurs as well. Not only that, but his story is a demonstration that it really does not matter when you find your passion. Spectacular things are always possible when things align. A quick reminder to you all to hit that subscribe button and give us a review. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Stephen Trigg. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Phil. Thanks very much for having me on. You're very, very welcome. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. Nice, relaxed day. Just finished some production. The team have just taken over so I can be with you. Ah, bless you. Well, very good. Is that the engine room you're in? Is this the, where all the magic happens planning-wise? Uh, well, yeah, planning-wise, yeah. As you can see, the big calendar behind me. And so we. this is this is my office uh, in our production units. We've got... Um, Got about three thousand square feet. Uh, about half of that is kitchen space. Then we've got some warehouse storage. Staff have got a changing room and uh, facilities for you, you know their own kitchen as well. So so yeah, great stuff. Well, I mean, for the uninitiated out there, just tell the world who you are and what you do. So uh, my name is Stephen Trigg. I am the co-founder and owner of Loud and Chocolate. We are an artisan chocolate producer based in the UK. Founded in 2008 uh, by me and my wife with a passion for just wanting to create chocolate that we personally wanted to eat. And over the years, it has taken us on this amazing journey that we have two sides of the business, which is our, our front online shop that we sell directly our brand. And then we sell into other retailers that, that sell our brand. But then we also support uh, a massive part of our business is, is hospitality. So we do hotels, restaurants, British Airways first class, and the Cunard cruise ships. Wow. Well, that's a bit of a, a cross-section of stuff. Yeah, and it, it, was, um, it wasn't by design, Phil. It was a, a, a snowball effect, shall we say, in, in a sense that we literally started making chocolate at home for, our, for ourselves to eat. And... Um, no, no intention for business at that point? Or no, it... at, at initial point, no. What happened? So I, had a, I have a previous career as an IT consultant. And um, my wife, we'd recently moved over from Singapore to Leeds in Yorkshire. Uh, originally, I'm from the northeast of England. And Leeds is quite cosmopolitan. And I've had a lot of work in and around the area. And um, I said, whatever it is, we'll find you, you know, in terms of work or whatever you wanted to do. Just take your time, get settled in the country. 
Uh, and about a couple of years in, we went to a little chocolate shop in the north of England and we, it was one of those ones you go in, they've got all the little bonbons out on display and you can pick and right, choose. Yeah. And it's, it's such a great shopping experience. And we spent £50 and when we got home and started eating it, we were like, it was such a letdown. We were like, oh my, what is... Oh, right. I was going to ask you, what, what was the shop? Was it the inspiration? Yeah, well, that's why I, I didn't divulge <laughs> the name. Which, but it was such, it was like they'd imported Belgium truffles and it was just flavoring and sugar. And it was just, it was not what we personally enjoy. I mean, we're both foodies. We both love good food and, and wherever, we, you know, we'll, we'll go out, out of our way to go to a nice restaurant, you know. Mm. Um, and so um, it, we were at home and my wife decided, you know, she was just going to start making truffles. Uh, and, and that's where it started, really, where it was born. And it wasn't until about a year in that we'd made everything for our wedding. So we'd made the macarons, we made our wedding cake and we made loads of bonbons and chocolates. Just out of passion, not out of a professional capacity or professional training. Yeah. And everyone at the wedding were like, oh, where, where can we buy these chocolates? And we're like, well, we made them. And they were like, no, get out of town. You're joking. I was like, no, no, we did. And then my wife was like, right, we're going to start a business. And about a month later, we we must have worked 15, 16 hours making a handful of bonbons to take to the local farmer's market in Leeds. And we sold out in two hours. And we only, it was, Phil, it was £150, but it felt like, felt like a million pound, the feeling. It was just incredible. Well, it's almost kind of, I suppose, a, like a proof of concept, almost. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we, we complement each other really well. So my wife is completely entrepreneurial, one one direction, a hundred mile an hour, and I'll run in the other. So, so right. as much as she was convinced it was, you know, going to be a great business overnight, I would be tugging and pulling the other way until we had the balance right. So, so yeah, the farmers' market was where we could iron out issues without, you know, supplying any customers at that stage so we could get to learn our trade we could get to learn to run it as a business and so that was really important in the early days to to you know we could make mistakes and and get away with them or correct them so to speak yeah was that something that you were you were doing every week as it were in terms at that point <laughs> yeah well so i had a full-time job and every weekend for as long as i can remember is a good few years we were at at least one farmer's market if not two so the right. saturday and the sunday as it, as things started to progress, I think maybe six, seven months in, we did a trade show in London and we had uh, we had John Lewis and Bond Street were really interested. But I knew at this stage, we, we it was way ahead of us. We, we weren't ready. We, we didn't have the proper HACCP training. We, there was so many areas we were missing uh, at that stage that it was it was a nice, great, there's interest. Let's build a business now. Let's seriously build a business with that in the back of our mind, we know that that people are interested. And like I say, it was wasn't an overnight thing. It was a snowball effect um, as we continued to roll. We we, we grew. Yeah. So I'm um, I'm just going to uh, pull this back a little bit actually because the passion really just came from purely because you you had an experience whereby you thought we could actually do this better. Well, so we've said if we lived in London this company would never have been a born because there was a couple of chocolate houses in London that we personally enjoyed. And, and so we could just, you know, we would have been able to pop around the corner and get what we like, but because yeah. we lived in Leeds, there was nothing on our doorstep, you, you know, so we started making chocolate that we personally wanted to eat. And that's been our core ethos that we keep to this day. Every single thing we make, we personally enjoy eating. Otherwise it doesn't go on the menu, so to speak. Yeah. 
And so, you, in your previous life, you were an IT consultant. Was that was that your career basically up until that point? Then pretty much, yeah. So I graduated university, and my first job was with the Halifax Bank in Leeds, uh, where I was on their IT banking side of the call center. So not customer facing, but um, if the branch had a problem, they would they would ring our call center, and we would fix that problem or, or point them in the right direction. And then. Then, yeah, pretty much a 20-year career uh, in everything from dot-com startups to Premier League football clubs to, you know, uh, law firms. Yeah, for, for full range of things. I have a, a wide variety of, uh, of experience. Right. And, yeah, I suppose, interestingly, uh, and I'm kind of just thinking on the, on the fly here, so forgive me if I'm way off the mark, but it feels like that, that career doesn't really inform this career in any way, shape or form. Well, in terms of being in the kitchen, no. But there's a lot of crossover skills. So the risk management side of it, the IT side of it, it gives me a lot of forward thinking and the ability to work with spreadsheets and produce my cash flow because we're running a business um, rather than just the chef side of it, which is also I, I really enjoy. But it gives me a grounding in risk management and managing a business rather than you know going out and creating something amazing and uh, – so I had the analogy once to said to me, look, I can make the best chocolate cake in the world, but can I sell it? Can I run a business off it? Um, so there's a lot more factors to go into it. But so there was a lot of crossover skills between me and my wife in the early days, especially. So she did the chefing side and I did the, the operations and management side. And then there was a bit of a crossover. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying, but I think the biggest thing I really enjoy is that I didn't get in my previous career is is the camaraderie between your peers. It's it's just so different that I thoroughly enjoy it. And I often use the analogy to some of the my suppliers was like, I wish I discovered this in my twenties, that, you know, being in the kitchen and and you know, I would have been so much further on. And they said they stopped me and they said, No, in your twenties things are a bit different and you wouldn't have had that same level of passion. So for you to discover it later in life it's probably accelerated you more than if you'd have been in your 20s where you'd have had other interests during that period of your life as well. Right. If Interesting. Yeah, 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 totally. And I kind of get that. Yeah. And I suppose as well, you're coming at this purely from a position of passion, really. I mean, to start with. Well, absolutely. Um, I, do, I mean, I remember at thinking times, I was like, what am I doing? Getting up at six in the, mor- in the morning, uh, doing invoicing and emails, then going off to do my day job and then coming home and working till I was physically too tired that I'd had enough, which was, that could be eight o'clock on the evening, but that could be 2am in the morning. It just depended how much energy I had. And and I'm very lucky in that I had a partner that we would bounce off. So we were like a yin and yang. And if one of us was down, the other one would pick the other up and vice versa. And it'd be very rare that we, we were both down at the same time. And I do remember once a good few years in that, yeah, we'd, we'd had... I think we were both on the floor and we'd both had enough and it was physically and very demanding. And then I went home and I turned on Twitter and there was this hugely complimentary tweet by a Michelin star chef that I literally picked myself up. I ran all the way back to the, the kitchens and I showed my wife that and I was like, we have to keep going. And, yeah, and that, awesome. saved, that one tweet saved us. Uh, and it just, it just gave us that passion to continue. Um, but we, we've always had that. We're both passionate individuals and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a massively important part for success in business, isn't it? You've got to kind of fundamentally believe in what you're doing and yourself in order to, you know, keep 
getting past the hurdles that will inevitably come up. Yeah, they do. And it's a roller coaster. It's ups and downs, ups and downs. And, you know, the company is 15 years old in about two weeks. And I wouldn't change any of it because it, it, it you know, it's, I've been on the edge and I know how far I can go. And you you, you think you're on the edge. And then when you, you've been there and, and you look back, you think, actually, I was nowhere near the edge. But it feels, you know, you, you create your own narrative in your head and you say, this is terrible. The world is, you know, everything's going wrong. And then when you go through it and you come out the other side and then you look back, because actually I was nowhere near the edge, but it felt like the edge. Um, and, and you learn and that's how you develop character in this industry is, is, is only through experience, you know, having those experiences, you know, that push you really hard and push you outside your comfort zone. Um, because if it was all easy, everyone would do it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go back into the journey. And so you were getting interest from big names like John Lewis. You realised you weren't ready. What What did you do then at that? Did, was that kind of like a moment where you thought, God, we 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 are on to something here? Yeah, so so that gave us a huge excitement, which was like, wow, there's, there's interest. People will actually want to buy what, what we're making. And so we went home, we sat down and we started looking at what we needed. So at that particular time, we were still in our home kitchen. And I remember our landlady came around once and there was there was three Williams fridges in the apartment. There was a chocolate machine. We were living in the bedroom because we were so scared of any cross-contamination. So basically our apartment was a, a production kitchen. Right. I'm sure the landlord loved that. Well, she was really supportive. Uh, I could see the look of a little bit of panic on her face, but it was like, don't worry, everything's under control. We'd, we'd taped off the dining room area with, with clear plastic and had a little air conditioning unit, shoved out the patio doors on the third floor of a Leeds apartment, <laughs> all taped up, so we had a walk-in chiller to save money. But, you know, they were the kind of innovative things I'd done to, to get us going without spending a fortune. But it was at that point, you know, when John Lewis had said, look, let's talk and we went to London and saw them and, and discussed what we needed and, and looked that we got our first unit not long after that which was to get out of our kitchen get into a proper production unit and then build from there really what's the the process of that then because you're I suppose it's one thing understanding your business from what you've built to that point in the sense of you've got everything that you need to to be at the level that you're at but when you're taking that step up how do you how do you learn about what you need specifically from a production purpose? You, when, if you're going to basically, uh, you know, 10x or 100x your your production? Well, so in the early days, as an IT consultant, I, I was paid quite handsomely. And so my wife could work full time in the business without us taking any money out of the business. And so I could support what we needed without any banking or investors or anything like that. So we were quite lucky in that sense. And and so I was able to get things off the ground. But but you're right. As things as you start to grow, you need uh, working capital. You need you know investment for certain equipment and machinery. And I, I'm very lucky that my best friend is a, is an accountant and my personal accountant and business accountant. So he's helped put a financial plan together over the years that that has, has kept us growing, so to speak. And, and we. The key is not to grow too fast because we personally have complete control of the business and we want to have control of the business. We've had investors interested before and at this stage, it's not for us. We may consider it further down the line, but at the moment, the most important thing for us is having that freedom that 
we make the decisions and you, you know we we live and die by our, our, our decisions so the key is is don't grow too fast because you can um you can put yourself at risk so to speak yeah we actually talk about that a lot uh, just around people's careers generally yeah. as well as a lot of people who are very keen to get to where they want to get to as quickly as they can but in actual fact, it, it really does pay to slow down and, and really learn your Not every absolutely, element. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, absolutely. And in terms of my skills in the kitchen, yeah, like I wanted to learn everything overnight um, and it's just not possible. You need that experience of doing things repetitively over and over. And then you start to understand the little nuances of why a certain ingredient isn't responding when it did three weeks ago and, and little little clues like, you know, yeah, that, that only comes with experience and time. And yeah, if you grow too fast, you you, you could reach a, a status that an opportunity presents itself, and you might be out of your depth. And and then your ego is looking to protect that position. And and yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, what year are we in now? Then roughly from you're taking on your first uh, full production unit, as it were. Yeah. So, so the first full production unit was 2009. So we opened okay, that in 2009. So- so from a 2008 start point, that's not, I mean, that's pretty quick. Yeah, well, so literally in our apartment for six months, we had a unit at the back end of 2008 that, that we moved into in the January 2009. And then it was literally every farmer's market we could go to. We, I think my first, like we had a few delicatessens taking stuff for retail. Uh, my first big break was a, a Michelin star restaurant in Park Lane, uh, Galvin at Windows, where Andrew Garrett was the head chef at the time. Uh, right. He took our pure truffle. Yeah, and that was our first break into the hospitality industry. Yeah, it was 2009. Yeah, back end of 2009. Yeah, so how did it how did it progress from there then? You're in the unit now. You've got, a, I suppose, that's your foundation set. Yeah, well, this is actually our second unit. So we moved out of the first one in 2013 and moved into this one, which is much larger, give us a lot more space. Pretty much when British Airways came knocking, the previous unit just didn't have the size and space to do what we needed to do. And I got really lucky with this unit, which was it was a catering company that does big events and weddings that we actually supplied uh, chocolates to. And the head chef called me one day. He's like, look, we're looking to move out. I know you're looking to move. This is perfect. Get in touch with the owner. And it was pretty much a ready-made unit for us to move into. Just a few tweaks here and there. Yeah. So this is uh, 2013. You've been in there ever since. Yeah. So we've been in here ever since. Yeah. It's it's a perfect space for us. We could reach a capacity within this in a couple of years. Um, so I'm more in the back of my mind planning, how do we move to the next unit? So Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a couple of things I'm interested in here from so far in your journey. It doesn't feel, and I'm sure you'll correct me on this, but it doesn't feel like there was uh, any kind of major strategy around, right, we're going to go and get our chocolates in there. We're going to go there. It's almost like these people have heard about you somehow and have yeah. come to you. And you're right on that, which we didn't really have a strategy. I mean, if I could rewind the clock 15 years and what we've achieved in 15 years, I could probably do it in five because it, it was a bit of, exactly like there was no particular strategy it was just we're going to make chocolates we're going to sell chocolates and 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 that was it really there wasn't like we want to get selfridges or we want to get gordon ramsay or we want to get you know we didn't have that kind of strategy we just focused on 
just making great chocolates and whoever came across them great if they enjoyed them great and you know we do a trade show once a year uh, and then we'd meet potential buyers and stuff and have a chat with them and they would taste and and, and yeah there wasn't a great big strategy of the particular partners we wanted it was if, if you enjoy it great if, if you don't eh, no problem yeah at what point did you uh, kind of make the move over into, I suppose, being more kitchen-based as well? Because actually, you and I have not known each other very long, but I, I've, I think I've only seen you in your chef's blacks. Yeah, well, um, so when we moved into this unit in 2013, I did a private um, chocolate sculpturing class for some chef customers of ours, and I invited them up, and, and we did that. And I had a, a colleague here, and I was I was discussing you know, early days joining, you know, what would it take to get into the UK pastry team? Uh, and he was like, well, being in your position, you know, this year is the very first year they're filming Bake Off Creme de la Creme, which is now known as Bake Off the Professionals. He said, why don't you put yourself forward for that? I was like, yeah, actually, that, that's a good idea. Um, it was a team event. So I put an application together, uh, collared a couple of friends and um, who had good experience. And I put my application in and my wife was like, Stephen, are you crazy? You don't even know how to make a creme anglaise. You're going to go on TV with with loads. I was like, yeah, but but I do have one thing, which is I have uh, my wife's nickname for me is Monkey See, Monkey Do. You just have to tell me once, and I know how to do it. Right. And so I, I was like, yeah, I've got time. I can practice. I can learn. And and so I wasn't afraid to put myself out there because I was confident I could come in and work and practice and, and kind of things. And, and so that was like, step out your comfort zone, step into an area that you're out of your depth, but now you've got to go in and work on a weekend. You've got to work on a night. You've got to get these skills under your belt quickly to a competent level that you can go on TV and prove yourself. And that was the first real chefing side of it in terms of the public side. I mean, in, in the kitchens, I knew how to make bonbons and production with my wife, but that, that was the first real putting on a chef's jacket and and calling myself a chef, even though probably up until recently, I, I always say I'm not, I'm, I never felt like a real chef because I never came from this industry, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, and hence the story we might touch on later, which was my journey for the UK and the world chocolate masters. It was a, it was a journey of validation to, to prove to myself I belong um, with the gentlemen and, and the competitors and people in this industry. Yeah, well, we got to know each other a little bit at uh, the HRC event in March, yeah. and uh, you very kindly did a, a, I think you did a step-in demonstration for us, didn't you? Because we had a couple of people who couldn't make it. Yeah, well, I, I can't, to be honest, I, th- I think the time's got moved or something, but but I'm really relaxed and easygoing, and I'm quite talkative, and I'm comfortable with a camera in front of my face, so it's, it's it was uh, it was a no-problem kind of thing. Yeah, the, the one thing that I remember—I mean, I, I remember a lot of things from from your your demonstration. But you did talk about learning quite a lot in uh, in your demonstration around the importance that you that you still place on it, even though that you you are now a you a master of your field. That you're that there's always something new to learn. And if, I think the thing that you said, which I found really really interesting, was is that. Even if I go on a course which I know ninety seven percent of, like yeah. that other three percent could be the difference between that, that's the gold dust. Yeah. So, so when when you reach uh, you know a high competent level, uh, and people would say, "Why why on earth are you going on that course?" But like, surely you know it. And I was like, "Well, I do. I probably know. Like you say, ninety seven percent of it." 
for just that 1% or that 2% or something. I was like, ah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And that's now added to to my experience and knowledge. And that's so important, at, 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 you know, when you get to, to this level kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. What, what emphasis do you place on evolution as well? Because I would imagine from day one to now, the products that you've evolved in that time are, you know, like night and day. Yeah, and it, it is. It's just, it's quite hard to describe because it, they are night and day and your experience is night and day and your what you enjoy and your flavors and your palate develops as well over time. And I, I remember sitting down and tasting at the start 10 different chocolate coverages and I couldn't tell the difference between any of them. And I was like, how on earth am I going to be a chef? And then what I did was... <laughs> Over a couple of weeks, uh, I'd, I'd taste them till I really started to understand them just by myself, and then I could, I could literally blindfold myself at the end of six weeks and tell you what each one was. So it's like you could give me one blindfolded, and I knew then. But but completely right from from chalk and cheese from the start to where we are now, and and the nuances and the subtleties that that you now pick up on. Yeah, it, it, it's it's light years away. Yeah, and I suppose you could also be in a a, a scenario whereby you're out somewhere else in the world and a moment of inspiration comes to you because you're tasting something or you're smelling something or whatever do you have that are you in this the situation where you're still trying to expand your range still trying to yeah, well, explore and experiment yeah well so the last couple of years most of my time has been taken up by the world chocolate masters so i haven't had a lot of development time for the business but that that's been development time for products for the competition but but you hit the nail on the head there which was I was in Las Vegas on holiday having a meal and I had a steak um, with different things and they sent out a habanero butter, so chili habanero butter. And somehow through their processing, they'd managed to take the heat out of it and leave the flavor. And in the butter, it was incredible. And, and I was like, in my head, I was like, how could I get that into a chocolate? Because I think that would just pair so well with X or something. It was just, so I, I got to chat to the chef and, and, you know, chat to him about how he got that the heat out of it to enjoy the flavor behind it. So that, yeah, it was an inspirational those kind of little moments that you you come across in this industry. Sorry to interrupt, but a quick word to give special mention to our sponsor Rotacloud, without whom this podcast wouldn't even be possible. With thousands of customers worldwide, Rotacloud is already saving businesses like yours hundreds of hours of staffing-related admin every year. It's been described by its users as everything from a lifesaver to an absolute no-brainer, with one customer even saying that they'd rather stick forks in their eyes than go back to doing their rotas the old-fashioned way. If you're ready to take the pain out of people management, I highly recommend heading over to rotacloud.com forward slash fill to sign up for your free 30-day trial and see how Rotacloud can benefit your business. Now let's get back to it. Yeah, that's the joy of being an entrepreneur as well though, right? When Especially as, you know, you don't, you are your masters of your own destiny at the moment. There's no you know, private equity firm behind just telling yeah. you what to do, you know, if you get a, a an opportunity, you're going to explore it. Well, exactly. And and there's two sides of the coin, which is sometimes you end up going down rabbit holes that there are really a lot of fun and take up a lot of time, but but don't bring value to the business. So some sometimes, yeah, they're great and fun to do. Uh, and then you step back and think, why on earth did I do that? It's cost me a lot of money and it's cost right. me a lot of time. But that that's that's the fun part as well. That's the fun part of the industry that I enjoy as well. Yeah, well, if you're having fun, I mean, that's you know, that's also important, right? Like, I can't wait for my alarm clock to go off on a morning so I can get up and uh, 
come to work. I, I thoroughly enjoy every moment uh, of what I do uh, every day. Yeah, brilliant. So you got this unit 2013. You're now making strides forward, I suppose, in terms of the level of production that you can produce. And actually, from a numbers perspective, what does it look like? I mean, do you set targets on the number that you have to produce a day or is it reference contracts that you have in place or how does it work? A little bit of both. So we've got we've got a set range of bonbons that we produce and keep a certain level in stock based on experience. We know what we're going to sell over a, a period of time. So we're always making, but but a lot of stuff is made to order that we're literally making and it's going out the door. We have standing orders with restaurants that 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 we know the chef two weeks is planning weeks ahead and telling us this is what I want. And they can always adjust. So if, if the bookings are down, they might just message me and tell me, look, you know, can you reduce the order by half or cancel next week and 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 so on. So we've got everything from a restaurant that might take a couple of catering packs up to our peak, which I think the peak day. So we were averaging, so around about, so this is pre-COVID. So we would be doing around about ten to 12,000 bonbons a day in the run-up to Christmas with all of our cookies. <laughs> Right, and and the, the absolute the the most we ever did was was a couple of days over that period. We did eighteen thousand bonbons in a day, but the wheels were coming off the cart. It, it was right. sellotaping and keeping, you know, it it was a couple of tough days. But uh, but yeah, so uh, but averaging around about ten to twelve, um, and, and really peaked at eighteen. But but I don't want to push us that hard, yeah, without a bit more infrastructure again because it was uh, it was fun, but it was tough. Yeah, well, that's the next phase. That's the the, that's the, next the new phase, premises. Yeah. Whenever that comes, yeah, brilliant. And then, yeah, so things are starting to in two thousand thirteen beyond are starting to come into fit into place. You kind of know your place. You know what you're good at. You you've got good su- supply lines in place and good contracts in place. When did that? Well, let's talk about the World Chocolate Masters because how did that come about? And um and talk us through the experience. Well. So ever since I've had the business, I think it was around about when Ruth Hinks did it for Coco Black. I was still working in IT, and I remember sneakily watching it on YouTube while at work doing like my normal day job. And so I, I always recall having an interest in it, but I can't recall the initial moment, but I was in awe of it. And the next time we were invited as guests out to the next one, which was a couple of years later, and we got to see it up close and live. And at this stage, I never really had any interest of doing it. I was just in awe of what the competitors could put themselves through. And then about 2017, I started to think, well, maybe after the, the, the you know, that I'd done Bake Off the Creme de la Creme Stroke Professionals, when I'd done that, I was like, well, what's the next thing? Well, maybe, maybe I've got the skills to do the Chocolate Masters. You know, I've got, I've got my own units. I've got all of the materials and uh, infrastructure I need. Um, what's to stop me? And so I, I was doing courses in the back of my mind starting 2017, 18 with ideas that maybe I'd do the the next one after 2018, which would be 2021. Uh, so I went out to the final uh, when Barry Johnson was the UK competitor 2018, again, as a as a guest of, of Kakabari and loved every minute of it. It was, it was great. And then, so when would the next one have been? So it'd have been 2020. I put my hat in the ring and made a decision. Was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. Uh, and I think there were six of us. And and then COVID hit and delayed it a year. Right. And yeah, so uh, everything moved from there, so to speak. 
Yeah. So, uh, what what does it involve? What what do you have to do? Yeah. So to so it's an individual event. So you have to win your national selection to then go on and represent your country. Now the competition is every three years. So they have national selections the year before the final, which is held in Paris. So each country will host their selections. So for the UK, initially there were six chefs who put their hat in the ring. You're each given a set of parameters and rules around those parameters. So there is different assignments to deliver during the competition at set times. So the UK won was eight and a half hours. And if I recall, I think there was five assignments that you've got to deliver at set times during that period of cooking. So I think, the, you know, you might start at 7 a.m. and the first one is at 11 a.m. and you have to deliver it at that time. And um, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm trying to think, one was a plant-based dessert or a snack to go as it, as it was at the time. So there's rules and parameters around what you can and can't do and use. And another one was a bonbon. Another one was a chocolate showpiece. Uh, and another one was a plated dessert. So, so yeah. And then you're scored on a variety of things. So from taste to innovation to technique to cleanliness to hygiene. So there's, you can score marks at many different levels. And then they add it all up at the end of the day and, and announce a winner. And then that person goes on to represent their country in Paris against all the other nations. And uh, I was lucky enough to win uh, in 2021. Uh, I represented... You weren't lucky. (laughs) Can't be lucky Uh, to win that, for sure. Well, uh, lucky as an individual. Like, um, yeah, I I know what you're saying, but it's, um, I think, proud and and lucky to have that opportunity because you can't can't buy your way into the experience, if that makes sense. You can't say, you know, you can't, pay to go on a course and have that experience so it's um, lucky that I have that life experience um, but then I, I was pretty much a year to prepare and practice and um, I, you blink and it's gone it's it's so fast and all of a sudden it's upon you and I think the hardest thing for me personally was the guilt feeling of not doing enough it's like Friday night I should stay longer I was in every single weekend and this anxiety level builds up. It's like, why are you going home at eight o'clock? Well, you've just done a full weekend. It's Sunday night. It's eight. You need some time. And and this anxiety uh, was, it's not a nice feeling because people would say to me, oh, the competition must have been really hard. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Every every minute of it was stressful and it was hard, but it's not as hard as those six months before on a Friday night when it's eight o'clock and you just want to go home and you've had enough. Yeah. And, uh, and psychologically, you've got to convince yourself to stay. Yeah, plus I'm guessing there's probably a, a part of your psyche that, that is just keen to test yourself against, effectively, the best in the world. Uh, yeah, and um, this is where my wife and I differ, which she hates competition. She hates... Right. And, and I quite enjoy... I enjoy the adrenaline of it, but I almost enjoy being purely in the moment, if that makes sense. When, when you're in that zone, it's almost like a yoga meditative state. There's nothing else in your brain apart from just what's in front of you. There's, there's, you're thinking of literally nothing. And it's it's almost like a laser focus. And it's very hard to create that state, but there's huge pressure. And you somehow you push all that to one side and you live in the moment. And it, it, it's quite, it's a nice feeling. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it when you're doing it, but when you've experienced it and you step back, yeah, it's, it's a really nice sense of achievement. 
Yeah, well, plus it's a test, right? I mean, it's supposed to test your skill and capability of uh, in lots of different disciplines. Yeah, and, and I think that's what I was alluding to earlier on, which was for me when I entered, uh, because I never felt like a real chef, it was it was a validation. Could I stand on the world stage and compete with the world's best to validate myself because I never had the upbringing. I never worked in the kitchens in my 20s. I'd never had that experience. So for me, it was a whole validation journey. So my whole attitude was, I, I don't mind if I win, it would be amazing. And I don't care if I lose, as long as I give everything I have and I serve up everything I want to do and I do everything with a smile on my face and I don't complain about a single thing. That was my whole ethos behind it. And it was actually probably six weeks out from the competition early on a Sunday morning when I was practicing one of the timed assignments by myself that this feeling just came over that you belong. You belong now. You are a chef. You're here by yourself. You're producing this, these great tasting products. You're a chef. And, and that was the moment for me. It wasn't actually there at the competition. It was six weeks before and a nine o'clock on a Sunday morning by myself in the kitchen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, who cares when it comes to you, right? As long as you, you yeah. I, I'm guessing it must have given you a little kind of lease of life that you're, yeah, I've, I've got this. Like, I, I know my craft. I know what I'm doing. You know? And it felt exactly like that. I, I just, it just, it suddenly came over I me. Mean, it was like, you belong. You belong now. And, yeah. uh, and, and so I, I could call myself a chef to myself. Well, other people would call me it. And I, I'd say to some of my suppliers who are exec pastry chefs and, uh, they would say, no, but you are a chef. And I think my favorite was actually earlier. It was only this year in Easter, which um, is a three Michelin star executive pastry chef. And he, we were doing some stuff for Easter and he emailed me, can you change it to this? I was like, and I replied, yes, chef. And he replied to me and he was like, in big capitals, no, no, you are the chef. You are my favorite chocolatier. And I was like, I just couldn't paste that out and yeah. kept it for myself because that just. I'm going to retire. Right yeah, now. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, finished. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's the joy, right? I think you the the journey you've been on is quite incredible because it, one to to come from just a a place of wanting something to eat that you like yourself to now be considered you, you know a truly world class chocolatier, um, where and you're getting the recognition amongst people who are operating at such a high level in the uh, the culinary world that it's you know. And you've done it in quite a short space of time, really, in the grand scheme of things. Maybe it doesn't feel like that, but I, yeah, I have to pinch myself, and and I never, I never really look at it like that, Phil, because I I try, I'm just focused on what we do in the kitchen, and th they're all of the nice things that have just fallen into place. If that makes sense, yeah. I think to, to give you an analogy, when we first landed the British Airways contract, I was so focused for about four months on delivery. So it's like, get everything done, make sure every, all of the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, deliver for the customer. And so our first order, I drove to London to Heathrow to get a, a feel for the whole process and delivered it. And then on the drive back, I put out on my social media, my personal. And then um, one of my friends is a business owner and he messaged me. He's like, take time to enjoy this moment, Stephen, because what you've just achieved from where you've come is incredible. And it hadn't occurred to me till that moment that sense of achievement because I'd been so focused on the delivering and yeah. making sure the customer was happy. And, and I suppose, cause we've been doing that day in day out. When you, you say something like that, and re I reflect on it, it, it. It's, 
it's it's amazing, but I I never see it because I'm too busy just focusing on the day rather yeah. than those niceties. And they are nice, and and I do have to pinch myself at time when I get mentioned in the same sentence as as industry giants and people I idolize, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, but I suppose that's the the there's joy in that as well, and and keeps you humble, right? That that you're not doing it to gain the recognition from these people. It's lovely when it comes along. Exactly, and and, and I think it's just a sense of inner pride that I, that that's all I need. I don't need the social media accolade that you know. Oh, look, I'm doing it with this guy or this guy or whom with. If if that pops out in the social media and that becomes public knowledge. And, and I get recognition for that. That That's amazing and I enjoy it. But equally, I, I think I'm a little bit more mature that, and comfortable and confident enough in myself. It was like, I don't need to go out and tell the world. If the world finds out, great. If they don't, it's no problem. I'm quite happy I'm, uh, just to get on with things, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So from your career so far in the world of chocolate, have you got any funny stories you can share with us? Um. There's all sorts of amazing stories. There's like the journeys and stuff I've been on. I think I think one that stands out would be, and it's quite a long story, but 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 to give you a synopsis, Phil, I was on the yacht of the Washington Redskins owner parked outside Tower Bridge. So he's a he's a billionaire. I'm hanging out with him personally. Long story how I actually got there. I'd, I'd been doing a, a talk, and so we were discussing chocolate and business. And Tony Blair and his wife was introduced to us rather than the other way around. So right. <laughs> he, he was the guest going onto the boat. And it was like, could I introduce Tony, his wife, to you and Stephen? And uh, yeah, so it was just a bizarre moment that I was like, oh, hiya, Tony. I'm uh, I'm a Northeast boy. I'm from your neck of the woods. And he looked at me and he looked around. He went, you've done well for yourself. And I was like, uh, this is not my gaff, but just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Or you could have, could have said, uh, yeah, could say the same of you. Mr. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 true, true. So it was a, it was a nice experience, and I was due to give a talk to a room full of entrepreneurs about being an entrepreneur. And on the journey on the way down, my wife had asked me, "Have you prepared a speech?" And I was like, "No." And she was like, "Are you mental? You're going to talk to a room full of of people, and you've not prepared anything?" I was like, oh, "No, I've got, I've got a start, a middle, and an end, and the rest flows." And then. Uh, before I was about to give my speech, she was like, are you all right? I was like, I don't know. I was going to give a speech in front of Tony Blair. He sat like literally 10 feet from me in front of me in a room full of people. I yeah. should have prepared a speech. I should have prepared a speech, but it was, <laughs> it was quite, it's quite a comical moment. My, my wife videoed the whole thing and there was chaos in my head, but it came out really well. It came out good. And yeah. I had the former prime minister sat 10 feet from me listening, uh, listening. So it was good. It was and good lots of thoughts running through your head around, how did I end up here? Uh, I think I was just so focused. I, I think at the time, Harrods were doing the canapes, and so my opening was was just get chocolate into people's mouths. So I had Harrods walk around with all my canape like chocolate bonbons. So uh, that sort of distracted people. But yeah, later on the evening, it was it was was how did I get here? So uh, it was a kind of moment. Yeah, which was nice. Which not bad for nice. an IT consultant. No, I, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and and like. Yeah, the stories and the journey I've been on is, is incredible. And it's all because of chocolate. It's all because of this industry as well, Phil, um, that I've had some really exciting opportunities, that I've I've met amazing people who do what they do. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think there's a lot of things to love about your journey in the, in the sense that, one, it's kind of, 
and don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying you're a, an old man. You're not at all. But um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter at what stage of life you discover it. You know, if it if it lights your fire and it lights that fire beneath you to to do something special, then just jump yeah. in it whenever whenever that catches you. No, absolutely. And and so I often describe my wife to people who've not met her as you know the cartoon the Tasmanian Devil. And he's yeah. spinning so fast and he's moving from one place to the other. So my wife has this. Does she amazing... know about this, by the way? Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah. She does. Many times. Like, she, uh, she just gives me a look. Um, but it's like she has such passion and she's asking questions and she's so interested in every aspect of life, not just what we do. And I was describing this to, I was doing an interview for somebody who's producing a book and I was describing this to her and he stopped me in mid conversation. He went, Stephen, he said, do you not think there's a bit of the Tasmanian devil in you? And I was like, oh, it was a big dawning moment. I was like, that's why we're together. We're actually the same. I used to think we were the opposites. But I was like, Christ, we have, we both have this passion for life and this passion and energy for whatever it is we do. So, yeah, so I guess there's a yeah, yin and yang. I, I'm a Tasmanian devil as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter when you get the realisation. Yeah. But but like, like you're saying, it's it's – if it gets you out of bed and it gets you interested in life, it, it doesn't matter what age you discover it, whether that's in your 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 earlier in your career or later in your career. Um, it, it's passion what gets us through life and, yeah. and that excitement and energy um, to learn things and learn new things and connect with the people in this industry. Um, that's the biggest thing for me, which is I just love, I love the network of peers. I love, I love going to shows like HRC and getting to see everyone and chat. Yeah, that um, show is a big fat reminder of just how special the the industry is and the so many different people from so many different walks of life within the industry all coming together everybody welcoming each other to you know their stand and you just chat through stuff and it's just it was just a massive big networking event really wasn't it it's was just wonderful. It. and i love it and you're right there are people from so many different walks of life and so many different areas of the industry but but we all share the same passion which is is hospitality and food mm. and, and creating a great customer experience yeah absolutely great stuff i mean you've probably touched on it already i think but um what three reasons would you give for somebody to join hospitality as a career i think that first one which is is the camaraderie the the you know especially when i've, I've gone and done stages in kitchens the camaraderie of working with the people and building that friendship and relationship and you're all working to a common goal which is is to put something on a plate that brings a smile to the customer who's walked through the door um that i absolutely love and sometimes i don't get to see it as much because because of the nature of what i do but but that would be my absolute number one star reason uh, yeah and, and i can't remember the other two we, we were just thinking about but uh that off the top of my head that trumps them all for me yeah i, I think you mentioned a few through the the chat uh, in yeah. any case you know the, the camaraderie is such a wonderful thing. I, I very under talked about actually in terms of the importance of having that in your life. No, and it like the the atmosphere we create here at Loudon, and, and we have a nice working, relaxed atmosphere, and we talk about life as the day's going on, and it helps with your mental health. And and having that every day with different people to see and speak to, um, it, it's really important for us. Yeah, I think that the the, the Greatest thing for me, and you're another shining example of 
this industry really is, is that the different roles that exist and are available to do and the things that you can learn and all of the different nuances of how they interweave with, with one another, I think it's just it's just endless. No, I completely agree that, you know, from, from the, the front of house and back of house and the support teams around all of that, for people coming into the industry, that there's unlimited opportunities. You know whether you want to work in the in the in a brigade in a team or front of house customer facing, or the support team or the, the yeah the, there's just a great opportunity uh, at so many different areas. Um, I agree with you on that, Phil, for sure. Yeah. Did you ever think that you'd be doing this? I mean, if you think back 20, 30 years. Uh, so absolutely not. So 20, 30 years, I was like, I do not want to be in the food industry. I just it petrifies me the level of responsibility to especially today with all the allergens and things and, and that used to scare me i was like i'm never going to end up in the food industry so and here i am uh and that's just down when i look back at that thinking process to where i think now it's down to making sure i have that knowledge and experience and and i'm doing the things i should be doing um and doing them correctly and professionally uh, and then all bases are covered yeah so, uh, and, and we're comfortable Fantastic. Well, look, I think your journey is amazing. I, um, I, you need to get this in a book one day if you haven't done so already. <laughs> no, I, uh, my wife has told me, so uh, I'm too busy focused on making chocolate fill. But uh, yes, all in good time. No. All in good time. I'm sure there'll be a lot more stories to come out yet in the uh, over the course of your your uh, evolution of the of the business and, no, and what you're you. doing. Um, if people want to get in touch with you to learn more about your your company, what you do. Just chew the fat with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, well, I've got uh, social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, so they can contact me through any of them uh, via Loudon Chocolate. And there's our website as well, which is loudonchocolate.com. Great stuff. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. And uh, yeah, wish you all the very best with the next phase of your business. Brilliant. No, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak, Phil. Uh, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Good man. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers. And there we have it. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Stephen and his wife have built a wonderful business. I'd urge you to head to their website and get yourself some of the best chocolates you'll ever taste. We'll be back as usual at 8pm next Wednesday for another story from hospitality. So until then, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.